Blog Talk Radio. All right, so now we got well, mostly everybody here with us. Hopefully, we'll have a few more people coming on in as uh, uh, in the next minute or so here. But um, yeah, glad you could all join us tonight for uh, our first uh, our first show in uh, June, which is feels really weird to say. We're almost halfway yeah. through the year already. And June's going to be kind of different because we're going to have our normal scheduled show in two weeks' time, but then we're going to immediately follow the next week with the next show. Because Chris and I are going to be off-grid for a little bit after that. Yes. So, um, yeah, slightly different schedules this month, but we will get three shows this month. Yep, so we have this show, then in two weeks we have haunted the spirit of British or Victoria, British Columbia. Yes, so which is just south of Vancouver, which is where we're going part of the time. Part of the time. <laughs> and uh, then just one week after that, we are going to be doing uh, Haunted Alaska. So, yeah. And that's where we're going to be the rest of the time. Yeah. And then it'll be three weeks until our next show. Yeah. So, but yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're looking forward to doing a few shows with you all this month. And we are crazy busy with the, uh, with the, the tours right now. Yeah. Uh, we, so we, we just made a decision, executive decision today. Yep. So we uh, we're at a minimum. We are going um, every day Wednesday through Sunday um, through Labor Day. But on uh, select Mondays and Tuesdays, we are also going to be doing offering tours as well, including uh, starting next week. So next week we're going to have three weekend three weeks of. Uh, tours on Monday and Tuesday as well. So we'll be going seven days a week for, uh, for at least for a few weeks. Um, and uh, then we will we'll see where we're at as we get into July. So, yep. yeah, it's going to be busy. Got a lot going on. And as Roberta pointed out, I am wearing an Army Animal shirt. Um, this is a great group. They actually donate to shelters. Uh, part of the um, cost of the shirt goes directly to shelters uh, all over the U.S. So if you're interested in checking them out, they got some really cool shirts. They like to support them. Half my drawers aren't the animals. <laughs> I'm wearing turtle feet tonight, yes, which are. is which is just fun. They they don't necessarily do the, the charity stuff, but they're fun shirts. Yeah, I, I, I wear a lot of those too. My coffee shop job, and they're just fun. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, um, yeah, we're doing very well, and uh, um, glad to be here tonight. We got uh, on top of this, on top of the tours, we got all kinds of other fun stuff going on. Uh, of course, uh, next month. Uh, we have, uh, towards the end of the month, we have our, uh, not ours, there's going to be the Scares the Care Convention, which is the last full weekend of July out in Williamsburg, which we are very happy to be able to sponsor that again. And if you're a runner, we actually specifically sponsor the 5K, uh, which is on Saturday, that is open for people to sign up now, so you can run in person or you can run virtually as a spirit uh, warrior walker, um, so definitely check that out. Chris will uh, be run walking. Uh, on the day, I'll be out there dancing with Marsha, and we'll be having a good time. Yeah, hopefully I'll be able to get in a respectful jog, but I'm we're, gonna, we're, we're still recovering. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and get out and go for a run this week and put these uh, these the, the, the stitches or whatever you want to call them for the test. Yeah. There's not really stitches. The glue. The glue's gone. <laughs> the glue's gone. So it's been just over four weeks since I had that gallbladder out, and I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. Um, so we got that, and also uh, we do highly recommend that if you want to come and join us for our Haunts of Key West trip, which is going to be that first weekend in December, yeah. we recommend signing up by the end of July, because after that, that is when the block of hotel rooms is going to get released. So, um, but yeah, we're looking forward to that. That's going to be a uh, spooky good time as well, and you can go learn about that on uh, hauntsofkeywest.com. Yep, I got two investigations. 
one dinner paid for. The current um, hotel is haunted, and it does have breakfast every morning. So a good portion of your meals are already covered. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Yep. So, but anyway, so, yeah, I think we got um, got most everybody here that's going to join us for, for a little while. And uh, got to uh, go ahead and get to what is, ah, oh, shit. That's my drink. That needs more to drink. Yeah, so. <laughs> but anyways, um, the reason that you all actually tuned in tonight is that we're going to be talking about some haunted libraries from uh, all over the world. Um, so we got some uh, some fun stories to tell. This was definitely a fun one to research. Oh yes, it was. Yeah. Because I made you a couple of these. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll do the intro and then you can do the first. I wrote the intro. I like. I. I. I yeah. So anyway. So, haunted libraries are a staple in ghostly lore, especially since the opening sequence of the original Ghostbusters movie 38 years ago, 38 years ago, when an apparition in the basement stacks of the New York City Public Library gave audiences a scare and a laugh at the expense of Peter, Ray, and Egon. Well, that scene is etched into our minds as an, as, an, as an entertaining dramatization. It does also serve as a reminder that ghosts in libraries do, in fact, go hand in hand. Library ghost lore is quite diverse, and ghosts seem to haunt libraries for different reasons. Some ghosts appear to be placebound uh, uh, place and tied to buildings or land that the library now inhabits. Others seem to simply enjoy being around the books or the quiet comfortableness comfortable confines of the library walls, and some seem to be bound to the aging volumes themselves, as it's easy to take for granted how precious books were in the days before our more modern means of mass production. As for how spirits make themselves known amongst the stacks, not all are quite as dramatic and messy as the encounter that the Ghostbusters endured. While there have certainly been sightings of specters in libraries near and far, oftentimes they are more subtle, a sudden draft of cold air a mysterious disembodied whisper, books and card catalogs being shifted about by unseen hands. There are certainly many more things to be startled by within libraries aside from the horror novels that can be found there. Having worked at an old library, I can tell you that. Hello. You get to go ahead and you get to start off. I've been to this one. Yes. <laughs> I like this one. This one's a really cool one. This is in Dublin, Ireland. So we're going to go to Marsh's Library. Uh, while we start in the old country of the city of Dublin, uh, many, uh, most every tourist, of course, knows of the long library at Trinity College where the Book of Kells is located. Been there, too. Uh, but a short distance away, just past the medieval graveyard at St. Patrick's Cathedral, stands a Gothic stone archway and hinged door marking the path of the stairs to Marsh's Library. While it's the size of a closet in comparison to a long library, Marsh's Library has the distinction of being Ireland's first public library dating back to 1707. As you open the door to its gallery, you'll find yourself transported back hundreds of years as you take in the thick and dramatic oak shelves lining the ancient wall. Honestly, I think this is what served as the inspiration for the, um, what was it, in Harry Potter? Uh, the the off-limits section. Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. I, I forget what they called it. Um, I can look it up. <laughs> um, Marsh's Library is one of those very few 18th century buildings left in Dublin that is actually still being used for its original purpose. Restricted section. Restricted section, okay. 
It's made up of two long galleries joined by a small reading room. The books are shelved in bays on either side of the gallery. The interior of the library has an elegant oak and dark oak bookcases filled with old books. Bookcases are complete with rolling ladders, leaving one to fight the temptation to reenact Feldstein from Beauty and the Beast. And I can tell you the temptation is real. <laughs> real. Very real. Seriously, resist the temptation. Uh, otherwise, you'll be escorted from the property, by the way. Uh, yeah. Didn't have that happen to me, by the way. I, I resisted. Barely. And the bibliophiles out there, of course, you will definitely not want to live. You want to move right in. There's something to be said about this place that makes one want to settle in for the long-term hot pot ready with tea, with whiskey, because tea with whiskey, you're in an old book. Perhaps this is what actually kept Ron Stoker here, reading books of travel and dust. Records of his readings are kept in a ledger where you can see his hand scrawls along with those of Jonathan Swift and James Joyce. With 25,000 rare and extraordinary books residing in its original oak shelves, there's plenty to keep an avid reader busy. Many libraries from this age were commonly chained uh, to actually meaning that they were secured to the shelves to discourage these from making off with the valuable books, thus the restriction section reference. Marsh's Library takes a slightly different approach as they actually lock their readers into the cages to stop them from stealing books. That said, they do lose about 10% of the collection before they install these cages. Three of these cages are that at the back of the library, adding to the eerie feeling. Uh, maybe it's these kind of places that can inspire the creativity in the darkest corner of our imagination. After all, it was here that Ross Stoker first drafted Dracula. But Marsh's Library offers more than just books, reading cages, and a morbid inspiration within its hall. A spectral scene has been seen in the library gallery during the dark and quiet hours uh, that is said to be at the Archbishop Narcissus March. The guy's name is Narcissus. Yeah. Modern day, there'll be red flags all over the place. <laughs> and he's an Archbishop. Just saying. Okay, we're going to leave it at that. Moving on. He was born and raised in England. Marsh actually entered the clergy of the early 1660s, and then in 1679, Marsh was sent to Trinity College, Dublin, to be the probe. And from 1680 to early 1700s, he continued to rise in the ranks within the church. How is this related to the haunting of the library that bears his name? Well, the library website says that Marsh has had an idea for his library while he was the probe of Trinity College. Don't mind the cats. Or zooming apparently. He spent most of his waking hours among the books and the manuscripts he loved while being the guardian to his niece. Grace was 19 years old, and she fell in love with the sea captain. Marsh did not approve, and uh, he made his opposition to the relationship known. Grace and her love ran away and eloped. She left a note for her uncle explaining her disappearance and asking for forgiveness. Not wanting the archbishop to find it in time to stop her, she placed it in one of the thousands of books in the library. But the Archbishop March never found the note in life, and he returned to the library frequently on an endless search for it. Walking from the first gallery through to the second, you can feel the temperature drop. While it's hard to justify his desire to stand between his niece and her love, it's easy to imagine the anxiety, regret, and maybe even guilt that the Archbishop must have felt after his niece's 
sudden departure. And it seems that those emotions may have been enough to anchor his spirit to the sight for all these years since. We, I did not make it there when we were in Dublin. No, well, we were all in Dublin for well, a very short time, and we got... One, one night on each end, yeah. and uh, there was so a lot of smell. smell. There was a lot of smell. So... Next time we're in Dublin, whenever that is. It's been a few years. Yeah, we need to go back. It's been actually a lot of years since we went to Dublin, because the last time we went to Ireland, we went back to the West Coast. Yeah. We need to go back. I, think, I was about to say road trip, but now that's not quite right. Okay. Boat or plane over there. That's road <laughs> trip. And maybe a two-week trip. Yeah. So, uh, we are going to go and stay over on the uh, east side of the Atlantic, where we're going to move over to Norfolk, England. And it's true that Felbrigg Hall amidst the, stands amidst the vast parkland in North, North, Norfolk, and it is one of the finest houses in East Anglia. Originally the home of the Felbrigg family, the land and house were acquired in the 15th century by the windows. Its Jacobian facade hides elegant Georgian interiors that speak of the Wyndham's taste and fancies over the centuries. Although the last Wyndham died over 200 years ago and the home has been in the hands of the National Trust since the 1950s, not all of its past residents seem eager to quit their former home. One such tale comes from an elderly woman, once a parlor maid in the hall, recounting how she and other maids would find that their candles were mysteriously extinguished when they passed by a particular door. A female voice would beckon them to enter the chamber, but the room was always found to be uninhabited. By far the most famous spirit inhabiting the hall is that of William Wyndham III, known as the Fighting Wyndham for his sporting prowess. William Wyndham was noted was a noted orator and a prominent statesman for much of his life. His career spanned the American, uh, American War of Independence, the French Revolution, and the colonial wars of the earliest 19th century. But the overriding passion in his life and the cause of his tragic death was his love of books. The wonderful Gothic library at Felberg was filled with books that both William II and William III each brought back from the grand tours. William III was to meet his fate one summer evening in 1809. As he returned to his home in Pall Mall, he noticed a fire had taken hold in a house on Conduit Street, very close to the residence of his friend Robert Norris. Wyndham knew that his friend had a very valuable library, and he immediately set about the rescue operation. He and three others succeeded in rescuing most of the valuable manuscripts. The rescue was not without its price, though, as William fell and bruised his hip. The bruise became a tumor, and the tumor needed to be operated on. Operations in the early 19th century were brutal affairs, and William died as a result. His final words addressed to his physician were, I thank you. This is the last trouble I shall give you. He fights the battle well but it will not do. His body was buried in the family vault at Selberg Church, a stone's throw from the hall, and the specter of William III can occasionally be encountered in the dark and shadowy Gothic library. He is often found standing by a table where his favorite volumes were laid out, or ensconced in an easy chair by a roaring fire engrossed in, some, in a favorite book. It does seem like a pleasant way to spend eternity. It's actually said that the staff will occasionally lay out his favorite books so he can be there by the fire. But, yeah. 
could I could stand with um, haunting a gothic library. Yeah, yeah. Works for me. Yeah. Want to take it from here, or you want to get, keep going? Can I do this one too? So we're jumping down to Mary Old London at this point in time. Before going. There we go, now ready for Alright, so um in the heart of London's Bloomsbury district, next to the famous British Museum, stands the Fetid House. It's an art deco building dating back to the nineteen thirties. It was originally built for the University of London. Today, the structure serves as multiple purposes for the university, but most prominently of which includes housing the Senate House Library. The Senate House Library was formerly known as the University of London Library. The University of London was, of course, founded in 1836, and two years later, in 1838, it received its first donation of 200 books. The first known mention to the University of London Library appears in 1846. Only in 2004 was it renamed the Senate House Library. The library is open to the public as well as students of academics and of the University of London. Membership is required. When I studied abroad, it was through the University of London. That's just how I got to go there. You were special. I was special. <laughs> in 1937, after a century of being housed in the temporary premises, the University of London and its library premature, or permanently moved to the Senate House. During the Second World War, the Ministry of Information used the Senate House as its headquarters. The building would later become a model for the Ministry of Truth in George Orwell's 1984. Today, Senate House is an architectural landmark in the heart of Bloomsbury, and it is open to the public for events and conferences. It's also a popular venue for film, television productions, and currently the Senate House Library dominates the structure occupying the fourth floor through the 19th floor. It's here that very special collections reside, the Harry Price Collection. It's a unique collection and it comprises nearly um, 13,000 books, pamphlets, and periodic titles on all aspects of magic and the paranormal. What's a collection to have in an academic library? Research! You get lost in there. I'd never see you again. <laughs> Talk about a rabbit hole. <laughs> Oh, yeah, who's in with me? <laughs> From conjuring to witchcraft and the occult, prophecies and spiritual phenomena, such as ghosts and mediums. Can anybody say Ministry of Magic? Basically, yeah. <laughs> I I would... Totally Ministry of Magic, right? I'm wondering yeah. if we're talking inspiration here. Probably. This, this is a heck of a building. <laughs> the place is huge. These were uh, collected by and named after the leading psychic researcher and author Harry Price, who investigated cases of alleged hauntings during his lifetime and working to verify spiritualist mediums. For decades, from the early 1920s through the end of his life in 1948, Price was a leading authority on psycho... Full time, Ty? Do I need to take over? Where are you? Where are you? Right Price was the leading authority in psychical research. And worked it's not easy. No, it's not. And worked aggressively to expose fraudulent spiritualist mediums. That said, he wasn't an opponent of spiritualism at all, as he also signed off on mediums that he concluded were legitimate. His life brought, his fa- brought him face-to-face with a substantial amount of paranormal energy. 
Ever since Price's books took residence on the eighth floor of Senate House, the library staff have reported strange activity, such as hearing the sound of loud laughter or whispering when no one else is around, and seeing floating books or even full-blown apparitions, including a mysterious cloaked figure and a glowing blue lady. All things considered, for anyone who knows of Harry Price and the life that he lived, it's fair to say that some of the spirits that he encountered may have felt inclined to linger on with the documents that were collected with great care and diligence regarding their very existence. So, yeah. Mr. Price was a quick character. I wonder if he's in a relationship with him. I, 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 yeah, no, I didn't get that. But, um... As I was reading up on the guy, I came to the conclusion we could have done almost like an entire episode just on this guy, on Harry Price and his life and his various, you know, exploits and whatnot. He was quite the individual. I got to research and not do one in English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, the guy, he does, he, um, he certainly managed to, uh, manage, he knew how to strike a pose. Yes. So, yeah, he, little smidge intimidating, but yeah, quite the character. So maybe we expand our trip twenty twenty three? One thing at a time. Okay. We have a show to get through here. Okay. Park the ladies up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now we're now we we're still have yet to actually come back stateside and we do have some stateside stories. So we're going out of Europe this time. Yeah, well now now we're going to a corner of the globe that we actually have rarely visited. Not too many of our ghost stories come from this area. And uh we are going to be going to uh Kolkata, India of all places. Now Kolkata is known as the city of joy for its culture and love of celebrations. However, this does not from the haunting of spirits who refuse to leave some of the most iconic buildings in the city. This includes the building that was the one-time residence of Lieutenant General of Bengal, known as the Belvedere House. The first Nawab of Bengal, Mir Jafar, decided to build Belvedere House in Kolkata in 1760. Later, it was given to Warren Hastings, the first Governor General of the East India Company. Excuse me. In 1836, the first Calcutta Public Library started here, the first large-scale library in India. And it still holds the status of being the largest library in all the country. Today, it stands as the National Library, a treasure trove for all book lovers. People come here and engage themselves in reading several types of literary works, ranging from autobiographies to ancient history books to scientific books to, yes, of course, haunted stories. Now, guards at the National Library are often armed with a copy of the Hanuman Kalisa. I think I got that right. It's a Hindu devotional hymn. Devotional hymn. So, um, my apologies if I did butcher that. I think I may have gotten that wrong. So, the Hanuman Kalisa. Now, they prepare this with them to shoo away any spirits lurking around, but many have reported spotting a faint apparition of a man leaving them petrified. In 2010, a newspaper report added to the spookiness of the building when conservation engineers discovered a mysterious room on the ground floor of the 250-year-old building that went unnoticed for decades. Rumors immediately took off. Was it a long-lost torture chamber? Did it contain... Hi, Lulu. Okay. 
reenactments brought to you by Lulu. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh. All right, so now we're coming back over to the U.S. because, of course, we can't do this show without having some from here. So we're going to drop down to the Hutchinson Public Library in Hutchinson, uh, Kansas. Uh, now, the city of Hutchinson uh, is in the middle of Kansas. It's a community of about 40,000 people. And it punches well above its way as a host of Kansas State Fair and home of the Cosmos Fair. It's a world-class museum dedicated to the history of space exploration. The community has more resources, including traditional offerings such as parks, horse fields, and, of course, libraries. The Hutchinson Public Library is a fairly typical modern library. So after a row of books covering nearly every subject, computer stations with Internet access, quiet meeting rooms, a children's space, and a delightful and knowledgeable staff that helps you navigate all of it. The friendly and unassuming atmosphere aside, oh, could the Hutchinson Public Library be haunted? Yeah, it is. <laughs> or we wouldn't be talking about it. Coming back over 130 years, Ida Miranda Day was born on April 20th of 1888 in Colony, Kansas. In 1960, Ida retired at the Hutchinson Public Library with a salary of $75 per month and two weeks paid vacation. Not too shabby for the day. No, especially for a woman. Uh, she spent about 10 years working at the library before leaving in 1926 to attend the University of Kansas. Her work at the library entailed developing and a complete catalog and classification system, initiating reference help, mobilizing books for World War I soldiers, starting outreach to shut-ins, and introducing Sunday hours. In 1946, Ida returned to Hutchinson Public Library as Ida Day Hopswell. She oversaw the library, moved from the Carnegie Building to the present location at 901 North Main Street in 1961. Ida Day was uh, considered a proper woman who had tea with employees promptly at 3 p.m. every afternoon. I'm good with this. At 9.53, Ida, or excuse me, <laughs> in 1953, Ida resigned from the Hutchinson Public Library to fill a position as a reference librarian for the Tular County in Visalia, California. She died a short time later in a car accident. She was on her way to her first day at the new job when this accident occurred. Over 20 years later, at the October 31st, 1975 issue of the Hutchinson News included a story about library workers who reported seeing and hearing a ghost in the library. Supposedly, it was the ghost of Ida Day. Ida Day was described as a totally dedicated to her job, a dedication that frequently made her difficult to work with, especially if fellow employees did not demonstrate the same dedication to the library as she did. On one occasion, library employees Angeline Welsh and Rose Hale were working in the basement. Hale went upstairs, and when she returned, she heard Welsh talking to someone. Welsh denied she had said a word, but Hale heard footsteps leaving. Hale said the next day she stopped below the stairs and saw a lady standing there. Hale did not know the woman's name, but when she later described the woman to another library employee, Hale was told she had just described Ida Day. Since that time, other employees have claimed to have heard footsteps in the basement, and it's become a shared joke that whenever anything was misplaced or missing, Ida Day token. The feeling that Ida Day returned to watch over the library and sometimes rebelled when she thought it was not being run correctly was reinforced by the local paper. In a news story published when Ida Day resigned to take a job in California, the article stated she has plans to retain ownership of her home and will eventually return to Hutchinson. 
It seems as though Ida was true to her work. However, if you do find yourself alone in that library, there's a chance you might see Ida walking around or looking at books. If you do, you need not worry. She's not harmful. She generally keeps to her duties, such as they are. And if Ida ever does feel the need to get your attention, a light touches the extent of the interaction that you should expect to occur. She sounds like a delightful lady. Yeah, she's not going to go all grossly and startle you out of the library. Like No. She probably has the appearance of the pre... The pre... <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. It sounds like that's what Ida looks like. I wonder if she was the inspiration. I've never done some research on that. Oh, wow. Yeah. But go ahead. I'll go give Dan Aykroyd a call see what his... I mean, it's... Ghostbusters was based on his personal paranormal experiences. Yes. So I'm really curious if it happened in the New York Library or if it was some other library. You know, I got a guy on the meantime, so I And if you want to get together with us, we'll be happy to buy you dinner and, and we'll, we'll chat. We'll chat. We'll have our people call your people. <laughs> You're my people. Go ahead and give them a call. <laughs> Let me get on that. <laughs> Moving along. All right. So now we are uh, we are going to be staying stateside now, and our next stop is Evansville, Indiana, where we find an institution founded by Willard Carpenter. Carpenter helped to build Evansville through his business and political acumen in the mid-1800s. Through a series of real estate and other various business dealings that helped him accumulate a considerable fortune. As Carpenter neared the end of his life, he wanted to leave a lasting legacy. His aspirations were to found a Willard College but the resources dedicated to the project were not enough to fund a sustainable institution of higher learning. Excuse me. The considerable fortune that Carpenter had amassed in his earlier years in Evansville had been significantly depleted through some unfortunate business dealings. Although Carpenter had worked to rebuild his wealth, he did not have enough years remaining to replace the money that had been lost when some of the business deals went bad and his real estate holdings had been significantly devalued. And so, faced with that reality, and with, and with many who agreed that the college would struggle at best, Carpenter was encouraged by his peers to direct his intentions to the founding of another institution, perhaps a library. Carpenter seemed to like the idea, seeing a connection between the two. Both were dedicated to learning and would benefit the community. And so, his long-held dream of creating a Willard College was redirected into the creation of Willard Library. At 131 years old, Willard Library is the oldest public library building in the state of Indiana, and until opening a new addition in 2015, had occupied the same 15,000-square-foot building and retained much of its original Victorian trappings, original woodwork, tile work, high ceilings, and general opulence. Greg Hager, the director of the Willard Library, notes that Willard Library just looks like the kind of place built for housing a ghost. The first reported encounter with the ghost who would become, who would come to be known as the Gray Lady occurred in early February 1937. It was the practice of the library's custodian to come into the library at about 3 a.m. during the winter to stoke the coal-fired furnace and begin to get the building heated before it was time to open. He entered the basement and approached the furnace carrying his flashlight when he encountered a woman in a dress with a type of gauzy material over her face standing in front of the furnace. When he realized that the beam of his flashlight passed through her and illuminated the furnace behind her, he fled the basement. 
this same custodian would go on to have frequent encounters with, with this unsettling apparition. In the words of the day after the first sighting, he took to drink. Finally, he quit his job at Willard Library, stating as his reason for leaving, always seeing the ghost and having nobody believe him. He's the only staff member to ever leave the employee of the library because of the ghost. Over 1,000 sightings have been recorded since 1937, mostly visual in nature. However, according to Mayor McKay in the Willard Library ghost chatters, they have also uncovered the uh, existence of the spirit of a male child in the basement's children's reading room. The activity in this area ranges from levitating books to orbs of light to being touched and having one's hair stroked. One of the most recent gray lady sightings involves two employees in the children's department who, via a security camera in 2014, witnessed a woman in a Victorian dress standing at the basement door with her back to the camera as if she was looking out the window. The woman turned to face the camera and then disappeared slowly in pieces, kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, from the head down until she was gone. Both employees independently corroborated the story and stated that seeing her made them feel uneasy and unsettled. Other employees who have seen the famous ghost state that she is accompanied by the strong smell of very cheap small perfume, and they feel immensely cold. Sightings typically last in the range of about 10 seconds. Now, in 1995, Willard Library sponsored the first Gray Lady Ghost Tour, thinking it would be a fun, low-key library program. That evening, Greg stood in his office looking out the window at the 800 people lined up outside. Low-key? Yes. The one-hour program turned into a five-hour event and spurred the library's current offering of ghost tours that span weeks and attract thousands of people. The program remains uh, the library's most popular program event for adults. Greg notes, however, that while we are a haunted place, we are first and foremost a public library that serves the Evansville, Indiana area. The library doesn't conduct staff-led ghost tours year-round and limits overnight paranormal investigations to just one night per year. Bill the Gray Lady is a sought-after apparition. The library staff is first and foremost concerned with serving the library patrons, which we and the Gray Lady can agree is a very important. I love seeing places engage in the haunted history stuff. Yeah, it, it, they don't know, ignore it. They don't ignore it. They they are, they open up their open up their doors, and even if they don't necessarily believe in it, which is fine. They do acknowledge the fact that it is another way to gain some interest from people who may have overlooked an institution before, and it's still a very good way to be able to share the haunted history of an area. So you can still very easily, you know, weave in, which is what we do on our tours. We weave in the historic facts to go with ghost stories. So even if you're not a believer in the paranormal, we like to think on our tours, we have something for everybody. And that's basically how the library handles it as well. So yeah. kudos to the library. We get two thumbs up. And they also acknowledge the fact that their main purpose is being a library. Yeah. That's their focus. This is something they just do a little extra around 50 times. It's kind of like uh, the, the, the partnership we have going with the John Marshall House. Yeah. John Marshall House dedicated to the, uh, the, the history of John Marshall and those associated with him. Um, but they, uh, they started doing the, the spooky stuff on the side, and we're very happy to be partnered with them. Yeah. Which, you know, which isn't our 
first our, our next tour with them is it uh, is it a week from Friday? Seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah, that's it. Right around the corner. Yeah. So, or is now the twenty fourth? Two weeks from Friday. Either way, it'll be soon. It's coming up. It is coming up. All right. So we're going to stay in our, uh, Arkansas. Uh, we're going to go to the Queen County Library. No, we were in uh, Illinois. Okay, the other one was Kansas. I'm sorry. Apparently, I flew around with my kids. Arkansas is not Illinois. Oh, no. Oh, or Indiana. I was thinking. Okay. Uh, it was Indiana, too. Okay. So we're going to Arkansas. <laughs> I, might, I might have a question. Uh, Benton, Arkansas, the Sloan County Library had its in March of 1931. The Benton Junior Fortnightly Club, a civic club, took on the project of establishing a library for the city of Benton and the citizens of Columbia County. The library was established on the second floor of the Bolton Building on Market Street in downtown. Between 1931 and today, the library has moved several times, including a 36-year stretch when the library was residing in the Old Palace Theater at 224 West, West, West South, South Street. Street. Wow. Yeah, they got home fast. You had home fast, too. During this time, the Old Theater uh, Building... Um, between 1967 and 2003, the library was able to expand and mature into a structure that was purposely built as the library could be put into service and dedicated. The library has come a long way since the original two-room layout in 1931. It was during the library's residency in the old theater that the Twin County Library became synonymous with paranormal phenomenon. The converted the theater building frequently featured activity that made libraries suspect a ghost with a foot. Footsteps, paperback parasols rotating by themselves, books falling from the shelves, and a self-operating photocopier. Oh yeah, and don't forget the slamming book door, uh, book return door. Once late at night, the library director heard the distinctive sound of a manual typewriter, but the library had long ago discarded theirs. Back up to this self-operating photocopier. As if photocopiers aren't infernal machines enough to begin with. This one seems to be possessed. I might have opinions about photocopiers. Office space was right. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you're talking to a teacher where the thing would jam when you needed it five minutes ago. <laughs> and I think you'd be the only one in the building who could unjam the thing. Moving on. Yes, moving on. <laughs> All right. The activity coordinator at the library recounted numerous encounters that she experienced during her time at the old library branch. Some of the unnerving activity includes the sighting of a woman with big, black, bushy hair standing in the children's section when the library was first opening in the morning, and seeing the lower half of someone in a black skirt walking through the large print fiction area. There's no way that anyone else could be in those areas at that time. They would also hear people stopping up and down the stairs early in the morning and later at night. There were sounds of chairs moving across the floor in the storage timer, as well as the book pages rustling when no one went around. And even in a more lighthearted event, she recalled hearing the sound of what she thought was her coworker's voice asking a question. She answered the voice and then followed up with a question of her own. At that point, the older colleague asked who she was talking to. 
colleague had not asked any questions. There wasn't anyone there but the two of them. Oddly enough, the disembodied voice was asking about donuts. Who doesn't like donuts? And we just had National Donut Day. Which kind of missed. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get donuts. No, no, we did not. For shame. So, what was it like? How, uh, what was it that was haunting the theater turned library? Theories abound, but some believe that the daily activity and the structure, including the creativity, exchanging of ideas, and the emotions, both good and bad, left some residual energy that fed into the spiritual interaction interaction experienced there over the years. If you want to visit the building, you still can. The library moved out and undergone significant renovations once again. And while the facade still bears the Palace Theater name, the established is now a Baja group. And you can get some excellent food and margaritas to keep your eye out for any lingering spirits other than what you're drinking. Yep. At least they're continuing to use the historic building. And the library itself did not close. They just moved to an upgrade facility. Yeah. So we can, we can accept that. That's, that's all good. That's all good. So moving along to, uh, we're going to go to New Jersey. Uh, so it's specifically we're going to Bernardsville, New Jersey. And it's here that the local library is believed to be the residence of a grieving ghost. The spirit within Bernardsville Library seems to be unwilling to let go of her long-lost love, and though it has yet to be verified, it is believed that the ghosts are of Phyllis Parker and Dr. Byram are responsible for the mysterious occurrences happening between the facts. In 1777, Dr. Byram, a traveling doctor, stopped at the Veal Town Tavern in Bernardsville to rest after a long journey and quickly became acquainted with the tavern owner's daughter, Phyllis Parker. The doctor remained at the tavern for an extended amount of time. Of course, Phyllis had absolutely nothing to do with this. And during his stay, he courted the daughter. Okay, yes, Phyllis had everything to do with this. And the two fell madly in love with one another. One night, a group of soldiers in General George Washington's army entered the tavern, charting out their next venture, when Dr. Byram quickly hurried to his room then later left the tavern altogether. The next day, the soldiers, realizing Dr. Byron was actually a spy for the British Army, hunted and quickly captured him, bringing him before their commanding officer. Byron was exposed for who he really was, Mr. Aaron Wilde, a spy for the British Army. Within one day, he was tried, convicted, and hanged. Before meeting his end, Dr. Byron requested permission to write a note to Phyllis and asked that he would receive a proper burial. Phyllis was told that a spy had been captured. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Phyllis was told that a spy had been captured and hung, and soldiers would return his coffin to the inn that night for burial the next day. The body was placed in the dining room while the household was asleep. In the darkness, everyone was awakened by the sounds of boards being ripped from the coffin and a wild shriek. Rushing downstairs, residents found Phyllis with a hatchet and a candle staring at her lover's face. The story continues that she lost all reason that night. She never fully recovered from the heartbreak caused by his death, dying herself shortly thereafter. In the years that followed, Phyllis's spirit became a fixture at the tavern, remaining even after the tavern closed. In 1903, the Bernardsville Library moved in, giving little concern to the reports of a resident ghost. 
for, the, uh, for that matter, Phyllis gave little concern to the library, continuing to inhabit the building and making herself known to library staff and patrons alike. She was most well known for the screams and sobbing that would be heard throughout the building, still mourning her lost love. Her presence became so common that Phyllis was in, issued a library card and the numerous ghostly events would be hosted over the years, including a ghost watch ball in January 1977 to mark the 200th anniversary of the story. While no sightings were reported, the celebration was well enjoyed. I want to go to a ghost watch ball. I know, that actually sounds really nice. That sounds like so much fun. What? We need to organize one. Dave? We need need to find somebody to get them on board. Dave? My people will call somebody. (laughs) (laughs) They're on the board. Yeah, Uh, so I am. (laughs) Now, okay, carrying on. Uh, In 1991, Eileen Lutz Johnson, a Bernardsville resident and local history room volunteer, authored a 50-page book, Phyllis, the Library Ghost, question mark, detailing the story of Phyllis. While the library moved out in the 1990s to a more modern facility, the old library and prior tavern still stands on Morris Hill Road and has since hosted numerous other businesses over the years. We can only assume that Phyllis still lingers on in her historic haunt pining after the love she lost almost two and a half centuries ago. So Alex had a question. Uh, have we ever had a paranormal investigation at the library? We personally have not. Um, our library here in town, the Main Street Library, is haunted, but they're about to go into renovation. Yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah. I'm not too keen on that, but that's a, that's a story for another day. Um, we haven't investigated anything local, but um, the, the Hanover Library, um, yeah. they're in Hanover Courthouse, will sometimes open up their doors as part of the paranormal investigations that are done at Hanover Tavern. Yep, so we have investigated there. Yeah, usually if you do attend a paranormal investigation at Hanover Tavern with Transcend Paranormal, you will get to investigate not only the tavern, but also at a minimum the courthouse and the old jail, the old stone jail. But every now and then, like for example, last January when we had the Paracon, um, uh, the VIP night, right? Yeah, we got into the library and the VIP yeah. night, I think it was. Yeah. So, but yeah, we get in there, seems like about half the time we managed to get into the library. And that time, that we was... had this first experience. I, I, had, I had a legit paranormal experience in the library. It was the only remotely close thing to an experience I've ever encountered there. We were the first group in that evening. As soon as we got in there, everybody got in. We're in the library kind of foyer area. And we're standing there, and as we're talking and kind of going over some of the ground rules and stuff like that, we're, we hear footsteps upstairs. And now the upstairs is all office space. It's not place. It's not library proper or anything like that. So that's the place where people, you know, workers would be and something like that. That's where their little cubicles and work and whatnot were. Now nobody had been there and ahead of us, uh, and so we're like looking around at each other, like, what on earth? Is that? And who's up there? And who's up there? Because these footsteps were persistent. And so me and one other person went up there, and we did a search of that second floor, and there was nobody up there. Nobody. So, and uh, when we came back down, the people that uh, said that we were, the sound of our footsteps walking around up there was basically what we had heard when there was nobody up there before. So, yeah. That was, Thank you. So he finally had that experience. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of wild. 
That's cool. Uh, was, he was a judge uh, in the Third Court of Appeal 
whose chambers were on the fifth floor of the library right around the building uh, opened in 1928. Rumors indicated that he may have passed away in the building, but it turns out he actually passed away at Sutter Hospital after being found unresponsive in his office. Another theory about the cause of the friendly disturbances at the library is that the spirits are connected to the books themselves. There are historic tomes in the library dating back as far as 1677, some of them providing detailed accounts regarding uh, witchcraft and the occult. And there are other titles about magic and mystical traditions, such as Rosen, help me. Rosicrucianism. Yes. Yeah. It's a spiritual and cultural movement that rose to some level of prominence in the 17th century. And Theosophy uh, believes that direct knowledge about God can be attained by transcending this reality to a deeper spiritual plane. And that is Theosophy. Yeah. Yeah, that was not a mispronunciation of philosophy or yeah. theology. It's Theosophy. Bless me again. It's a weird one. It's, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's a, a fair bit more complex than that. That's kind of the 50,000 foot view. Yeah, there, we're not going to do a whole show on this, but we could do a whole show on this if we were so inclined. <laughs> <laughs> that was all you. We're not doing that. <laughs> the State Library also has the first edition of both by Arthur Edgar Waite, who is famous for developing the popular tarot card deck. Uh, there's been an increase of reports. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. <laughs> Let me just think of your time again. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's been an increase in reports from staff about strange occurrences at the library since they brought in a rare old book collection containing books from the 1850s and 1970s back into the institution. That said, the librarians want their patrons to know that the activity has never been hostile. It's just don't be surprised if you get an unexpected chill down your spine or if you feel the gaze of unseen eyes on you while browsing the stacks. And if you hear something, remember to duck. And y'all are welcome for me making sure to cram in those those um, those, uh, those ten dollar words there at the very end of the script. Once we've like, been drinking. Once we've been drinking and already talking for an hour. So yeah. I feel like I should dust this on him. You're not gonna waste good booze. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Robert the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> Rosicrucianism. It is, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I've actually, um, I've heard of the Rosicrucian. Before. Yeah, I've heard of that. But it's basically, well, that's what the religion is. So Rosicrucian, style of Rosicrucianism. Trust me, I am drinking. <laughs> oh. So, hi, Victoria, next time. In two weeks. Yep. And the reason why we're doing Victoria, British Columbia, is because I didn't want to ruin our ghost tour that we're taking in Vancouver by pre-researching. Yes. So we'll do Vancouver later. Another time. I have stuff for it. I just didn't want to read it yet. Now, with that said, if you all... Patrick, get out the definition. Yeah, found the the definition of Rosicrucianism. And... Now, if you if you want to do a little bit of research, like we'll of course dive into some of the history of um, 
Victoria, British Columbia. But if you're going to watch in a couple weeks and you want to do a little homework in advance or something like that, Victoria, British Columbia, it is, it's a beautiful city, first of all. Absolutely stunning visual city. Very, you know, very beautiful there at the southern tip of Vancouver Island. But also, um, you know, just the history. It's just, it's, it's, you know, seen so many different chapters um, going all the way back to the, the First Nations, which is, of course, the, uh, the native tribes up in Canada. They refer to all of their native tribes as the First Nations up there. That's, um, that's, that's the, the Canadian thing. Um, but then, of course, you, you start having some of the settlers come in. you got the uh, Hudson's Bay Company winds up having a presence there. You have the gold rush comes through and, you know, all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, so it, it was a fascinating place to actually research, and we actually had more stories than we had time for the script, so there oh, might yeah. be a part two as well. Might be a part two, or they might wind up going and getting dispersed into maybe another haunt in Canada. Or, or the British Columbia, because, again, we're going to have a haunted Vancouver at one point in time, and there's another section of there that I have stories for as well. So, yeah. Yeah, or, you know, some, some of those stories could find their way also into because I think, like, there's a couple hotels on there, restaurants, you know, they might find their way into a haunted hotel, haunted restaurant yeah. or something like that. And we've actually already talked about the Fairmont Hotel. Um, or two, there's two places yeah. up there that we have talked about. They were in the Haunted Canada yeah. that we did last August. And so we will not be revisiting those. But, um, it's right on the chocolate. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Roger's Chocolate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So really, really cool town. They, the... That gentleman up there, I think, um, if, I, if I remember correctly, his name is John Adams. Um, no relation. No relation. <laughs> but uh, he has been running ghost tours up there in Victoria for a good long time now. Yeah. So, so definitely, I would like to get down there at some point to see his ghost tour, um, but we won't be able to do it on this trip. Yeah. So, but well, we are lucky we are going to go on through Haunted Vancouver ghost yeah. tours. So. Yep, we'll get to do that. We're going to do a, uh, supposed to be doing a ghost tour up in Gagway. Gagway, Alaska. I'm looking forward to it as well. So, yay. All kinds of fun stuff coming up. But, uh, yeah, so two weeks, Victoria, Birch, Columbia, and three weeks. Haunted Alaska. Haunted Alaska. So just one week break between the two because then we are going to be off for three weeks. Yep. And, uh, yeah, again, don't, don't forget to come and join us for all the other good stuff that we have going on. Of course, the tours uh, that we're going to be um, going almost every night through the summer. Um, there will be probably a couple nights off here or there, but we're going to be doing a, a lot of tours this summer, so you can come on out and join us. Um, there's uh, the special tours, such as the John Marshall House, which is the first one of those that's going to be on the 20, uh, Friday the 24th yep. this month. And we're doing this month, July, and August. Yep. Uh, and then we'll probably be back again in the winter. Uh, but we haven't set those dates up yet with the John Marshall. Yeah. But uh, those tickets are very limited yeah. um, because it goes inside the John Marshall house, and you can only fit just so many people in a group. So, um, yeah, if you want to join one of those tours, we recommend you sign up for those soon. And then, of course, as we already mentioned, Scares the Care is uh, right around the corner, but only about a month and a half away. And, uh, 58 days? Something like something that. Something like that. And it uh, won't be long. We'll be doing uh, down, in, uh, down in Key West this December, which yeah. is... Sorry, I hate to say it's going to be here before we know it. Yeah, so definitely if you haven't signed up and you want to sign up, you've got to do that ASAP. Uh, because, again, we want to make sure you get into the hotel we're at. Yep. And uh, amongst other things, you can catch us. Uh, we're going to be doing, uh, we're like, monthly monthly
and stuff like that. We'll be putting all this stuff uh, up online as, uh, as the days go on. But, yeah, lots of awesome stuff going on. You have lots of opportunities to come on out and see us. And, uh, yeah, we hope to all see you all in person soon. Uh, but if we can't see you in the next two weeks, we hope to see you back here again um, on uh, Monday night uh, on the 20th. Yep. Yeah, 20th. Yep. We will right. see you all then. Have a good night. Happy hunting. And I do. I do. I do. Good night, y'all. Bye.